Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to episode 96 of the Basketball Card Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by PWCC, where over 2,000 basketball cards are ending at auction this week on Sunday. The first MJ Scoring Kings in a PSA 10 in a long time will be ending, as well as the PSA 10 of the 89 sticker. Actually, there's some other huge Jordans as well. The linchpins, a 96 credentials, and a BGS 9, stuff you very rarely see, all ending this week at the PWCC weekly auction. I'm really thrilled today to be able to bring on somebody who um, I've been talking to about having as a guest here on the Basketball Card Podcast for months, and that is Will Stern. Will is the content manager at Rally. And you can find him at Will Stern underscore on Twitter, where he is prolific with his posts. Uh, a guy who I love to follow, check his stuff out every day. Will, welcome to uh, welcome to Basketball Card Podcast. How are you? Thanks, thanks, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, quite an introduction. I think that's probably the best introduction I've ever gotten. Not that I've uh, gotten many, but very flattered. But My yeah, goal I is. Think- my goal is to butter you up as much as possible so that when I ask you really hard questions, you'll feel okay about it. Yeah, you're just going to absolutely get me with a zinger. Like, <laughs> We're, yeah, is, is, as part of the planning for this episode, I'm just going to be like, like open the kimono for everybody. Basically, Will and I have like come to the table today with questions for each other about the world of content. Um, the world of card content is something that we – it seems like a lot of a lot of content is about content in the world of sports cards and memorabilia. But Will is one of the best people to talk about this because he's done it professionally, right? He has a real background in this. He actually has a job in this, and um, this is where his education is as well. So, um, Will, I'm gonna if if you're okay with it, I'd love for you to go first with the first question, and then and then we can just sort of riff after that. Yeah. So something that, I mean, we've talked about it before, like I just due to the nature of my job, you know, I I love cards and I love basketball cards, but I'm also dealing with a lot of other collectibles and asset classes. Right. So when I see the stuff that you do, you know, your reels and everything, which you're able to tell these really compelling stories. And my thought is always, how are you able to, constantly make these things interesting when you know we've seen it before right like i'll I'll see the picture of the car i'm like i know the story and then you come up with something interesting like what's your what's your process for that do you do you like catalog past ones to make sure that you're not double dipping how how do do you go about that dude i love this question this question is amazing i've thought about cataloging stuff i've thought about like like saying, okay, I've done this thing. Let's put it in some like, um, what's the word, repository, someplace that I can like come back to it. I've never figured out a way to really be efficient with that. And so for me, a lot of times I'll be looking through items that are coming up in an auction that I'm going to make content on or something that's happening on social that will go into the magazine, or, uh, into Basketball Card Fanatic magazine or or something like that. And when I see it, what I, this is honestly my process. This is so crazy. I've never told anybody this. I, I, I don't think my wife even knows this. I, I have an Excel opened on my right screen, an Excel tab. And I'll just sit and think, man. I'll just like write stuff down and I'll think and I'll brainstorm. And it sounds really simple, but 
when I think about these things, I, I then will like make a list of like what I think is really interesting. And you know, um, because because you have had many like viral type tweets that you put out there, stuff that's been seen millions of times. Sometimes when you post something, you know that people are gonna be interested in it. And it's not just because it's a story of the day, it's because it's because it's inherently interesting to a lot of us. It checks it checks boxes, right? And um you know, in, in the content world, we know that there needs to be like a hook and stuff like that. But, but sometimes it's, it's really just about the story. And I just sit and I think about stuff until I come up with something that I go, that's really interesting. And then when I watch back my video, when I'm doing it on a card, if I watch it and I, and I watch it like 10 minutes after I make it or whatever, and my, my reaction is, gosh, I would really like to own that thing. Then I'm like, okay, I think I did a good job here. Um, and, and the great thing is, you know, you and I are both collectors. We want to own a lot of this stuff. And so um, that happens a lot of the time. And it's not so much me, I think, as it is the, as the items. But I really want to know what your answer to that question is. I mean, for me, I think that because of uh, the diversity of stuff that we're dealing with when it comes to, I mean, for rally, you know, I can I can talk about Karuizawa whiskey and how that distillery was closed down and then the editor of a whiskey magazine in Britain bought it. You know, like I can talk about that and then I could talk about a the Jordan Fleer buyback card. So <laughs> it, it it's there's a little bit more room where I don't think I have the same um you know, I don't have to maybe worry about that same thing, mm. but, you know, as far as like what you're mentioning with, you know, watching it back and saying, I, I want to own that. I, that, I mean, that's really, so for me, my, my background, like I didn't really grow up collecting mm. at all. Like I, I did looking back, like maybe I had a hoarding tendency, like I had some baseball cards, I would keep old magazines. But it, truthfully, like it wasn't until I got this, I got a job at Rally, which wasn't because it was about collecting, it was because I wanted to work at a startup. And I wanted to, you know, use my, my, uh, you know, I wanted to create content and write. Um, that after that it's it just became okay i'm spending all of my days researching all of these things and it's hard not to fall in love with a lot of it right and then it's a rabbit hole and a rabbit hole under that and it keeps going keeps going and all of a sudden i've got you know uh, an apartment full of crap that I don't need right um, <laughs> but so I, I definitely feel you on the on the is the story good enough to make you want to own it um and I actually want to almost um, like integrate that into my thinking even with stuff that's not purely about collectibles like is that story good enough to make you want to read more right stuff mm. I, I think that's a actually a really broadly applicable maxim that i really like that's that's quite good i'm glad i'm glad you like it my my um partner on basketball card fanatic i was telling you about him before we started um he's, he's black griffin cards on instagram 
And um, he asked me toward the beginning of BCF, he's like, how long do you think you, you can write a monthly column for, for the magazine? And I was like, dude, I can write forever. Like forever. I, you could give me a hundred years to write something and I guarantee you there'd be something every month because that's the great thing about the hobby is there's always stories. And, and we're so, you know, you and I have like such different roles because you are talking about everything. And for the magazine, for, for my reels, I talk about everything, but for the magazine, we're just talking about basketball cards. And even within that specific small niche that, you know, a few hundred people subscribe to like that, that world has enough stories forever to be able to talk about. So really great uh, first topic. Let's go to a break and we'll come back in a sec with question number two. You've probably heard about Alt, but have you registered for their auction yet? Twice a month, Alt features its liquid auctions event, which caters to collectors of all kinds. The platform is super easy to use, connects to your bank in minutes, and provides a super fun bidding experience. What are you waiting for? Register on Alt XYZ today. All right. Question number two. Um, this this one I get to, I get to ask for you. It goes back to a conversation you and I were having like about a month ago. We were talking about um, our roles in the world of sports collectibles, what we talk about, and like how we fit. And um, it was really a cool conversation. And what what um, without belaboring the sort of generals, um, my question is related to how media, how important media and content are in the world of sports and how we as consumers sort of feel about those things. And then if we can relate that as well to like the world of the world of sports cards and sports memorabilia, my my sense just to sort of like lead in a little bit, my sense is that we are really dramatically influenced in how we feel about players and in how we feel about sports based on the coverage of those things and I think for, for, you know, good or for bad, I think it's the same thing in, in collectibles. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. I think there's, at least for me personally, I think that there's two ways to look at it where I, I don't, it's not, I'm not, I, I have never, uh, maybe once or twice, I've bought like a new release or hobby box or whatever, like in my life. I'm always buying older stuff, or what I do is I bought like, I, Emmanuel quickly just got traded for the Knicks, and that was a hard, hard day for me. But, you know, I would buy his cards because I yeah. love him and I love the Knicks. Um, so that's obviously influenced by things totally outside of cards. There's not a lot of stories to be told about his National Treasures card. That, that's not, you know. I agree. But, um, so for that, you know, it's it, I, I would say it's honestly the same thing as just general sports fandom. But for mostly everything else that I'm interested in collecting, it really is like it's the story behind it that is the intrigue like i'm not going to let's see i've got a uh i've got a cib or uh, this so this is a basketball card podcast uh, a complete <laughs> inbox uh super mario brothers for the nes 
and it's got a matte sticker seal. It's from like Europe. It's like the worst version of the early print. Okay. But because I know the story of the print runs and, and all that, and I can identify the variants and I've read all the guides and everything, this weird niche thing that people would overlook and is not particularly valuable and many people would probably look at it just objectively and say it's like a, a dumb thing to buy because i have that background and that story that i've engaged with over time that's something i'm going to buy which i never i never would have done that if it hadn't been for the kind of that lore behind it right like i i mean i i work at rally and we sold a far better Super Mario Brothers for $2 million. And that's the world record for the most valuable yeah. video game ever sold, right? So there's a connection there. And the same thing with like, you know, any anything I collect that's like, uh, I'm trying to think like, even things like, uh, like tickets. Um, you know, I, or actually here's a better example. I, I love magazines, we were talking about that earlier. And I like collecting magazines. I have a, a bunch of copies of LeBron's chosen one, Sports Illustrated. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't remember that coming out. That was I was too young. But, you know, that's LeBron's been the best player in the NBA for my entire life. He's always been my guy when talking about LeBron versus MJ and all that. And... I've always been completely enamored with the idea that he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a junior in high school. And they said, he is the chosen one as a junior in high school. And then this guy does it. <laughs> he just, he just, he just does exactly what they said. Like how, right. how rare is that? Right. So that story is like, I, I love that imagery on the magazine. I love everything about it. And yeah, so that's what drives that, right? I'm not going to do this. I have no interest in, you know, uh, I don't care about Bryce Harper. Like he, he has a Sports Illustrated. I just don't have a connection to him. I'll never buy one, you know? But but the thing that could maybe influence that to you would be if there was a story that, that sort of like made you feel something else. Um, as you're talking, the thing that kind of came to my mind was um, this idea that that and this is this is i'm going to talk specifically about cards for a second cards have like two very different uh, corollaries they have the 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 stock corollary like this is owning bryce harper in this card as you're talking about owning lebron james a piece of of those guys in a card and and the stock is the player and that's how people think about it but then the other corollary is the world of art and the world of art is what it is because of a lot of different things, including design, but also because of storytelling. And so the one that I always think about is the, the Mona Lisa, right? The Mona Lisa is the, the best known piece of art. And part of that is that there's this story of how the Mona Lisa was stolen at one point. And the Mona Lisa was like hid under somebody's like bed for a year or some amount of time. I don't know. I can't, I don't remember the exact details on it, but, but that was part of what made it, and I'm sure you do, which is the fun part of this. Um, 
that's part of what makes it into something so neat is because of that story. And so when we when we tell when we tell a story about a specific card, we have the chance to connect with people on those things. Some people think of that as like this really evil, pumping, awful thing. And other people sort of look at it as like a, wow, it's good to know why someone would want to buy that thing. I don't know how to actually like, I don't know how to like bring those two things together. Sort of the like pumping mindset, like, oh, you're bad, you're evil. And this like, no, it's good to like educate and to understand why somebody likes that. But I agree with you that that the things that have a story behind them are the only things that I want in my collection. I personally don't care about the stock like part of it. I care about the art like part of it. So I love that you brought the art world into it, which is just an absolute minefield that uh, I don't think I could really speak intelligently about unless I spend another five years working specifically in that world. But, you know, uh, Warhol is the best example in my mind, at least recently, where he was like purposefully creating stories. I mean, he was like courting outrage, trying to get in the headlines, doing crazy stuff, getting people mad. And guess what? Now he is the artist that headlines the big auctions and the winter sales of Phillips and everything, right? Um, I've got a Warhol print that's, they're cheap, right? Because he he made so many. Um, and I'm like, the fact that I have one, even though I paid like a hundred bucks for it, so cool. I, I like when someone comes into my apartment and doesn't say, you have a Warhol print and is impressed. I'm like mad at them. I'm like, you should, you should be <laughs> congratulating me. Um, but no, I love that comparison. And as far as the, the pumping and, and all that, notice how we haven't said a word about dollars. Um, right. And, and I try to make money on stuff, right? Like I would really like to be able to sell things for a profit and, you know, use that money for other things. But I don't think that's evil. Um, I think that there's also a place for someone who doesn't give a crap about any of it and is just studying numbers and trying to make money. That's fine too. It's all part of the market and it's all coming together to, really just create that ecosystem that we're all living in. And I think that there's room for everyone. So going back to your first point um, from, from our first question though, where I, where I talked about how, um, about how I wanted to always sort of be able to talk about the piece in a way, like why, why somebody would want it. Um, the people who come into the, to the market and want to talk about, they want to be able to like, buy something and then sell it for more money. That's their, that, that group of people that you were just talking about for them to, to do that. They, they, they can take the stock like approach, but to do it the best to, to understand the market, the best, you actually have to be able to, you have to be able to, to see it as the collector sees the thing. And I think that is not easy to do. I think you have to, you have to actually like be a collector to do that, you have to let yourself fall in love with the piece that you've purchased or that you have the chance to be able to purchase. And you have to be able to tell yourself the story 
where people get in, into trouble is they walk in, they see names and they see comps and they go, that's the thing. And, and, and they, they just, they do this math thing. And sometimes that works. Like yeah. sometimes the math thing and the number thing, the stock thing, whatever we want to call it, sometimes that works. But to me, the, the more interesting collectors are the ones who come, come to the table and they say, okay, I need to actually figure out why these things matter and then, and then like figure out what appeals to me. But the great irony of that is that in so doing, now they own a thing that they don't want to sell anymore. And uh, so anyway, any, that's any a thought? great, yeah, that's a great point. I think I, I totally agree. I think it's what it really is, is that someone who's doing it purely from a numerical standpoint just is never really going to reach the point of understanding that someone who's doing it for curiosity's sake or passion's sake will, right? Um, and in the process, they're just going to miss out on any number of things that could be market indicators for them. Um, Although I will say on the other side, there's certainly, uh, I would imagine, an advantage of completely detached, just pure utilitarian thinking that might, uh, you know, that might actually help out because there's no attachment to, <laughs> to, uh, to the to the love of a, of a thing or hanging on to a, a thesis or, or something like that but, but yeah I think that there's a there's something to be said for both but I do really agree with that idea that you need to in order to fully understand not just a, an individual piece but the market generally you need to have a genuine curiosity because Otherwise, you're not going to spend the time because why would you want to, right? Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a that's a great point that I totally agree with. I'm tempted to walk down this path of of when that would when it would be a good decision to be that fully utilitarian individual. I'm not going to, for the sake of time. I, I do want to say before we go to the, before we go to the next break, this idea of being able to see things from that perspective would be really interesting to know how the hobby companies how much how important that is to the hobby companies the hobby company companies at this point are pretty broad there's dozens of hobby companies right um i own one or i i run one of them <laughs> one of the small ones but um i run one of them and we are really prided on the idea that we understand collectors and want to give them and we're founded on that that's the whole thing that we do so we say you have pride in what you collect and there's passion there we want you to educate and entertain us as as you describe what the things you're collecting and then you know those are the things that are that are being written about and included in the magazine i think that the other hobby entities that are out there also need to understand these principles and if they don't I think it harms them. I don't I don't think there is a fully utilitarian way to go down this path with most hobby companies. Maybe there is with some, but everything from card manufacturing to grading to talking about cards to um, displaying cards to 
talk um, you know, to every part of it. I think I think that's interesting. Okay, let's go. Let's go to a break. Um, we keep going on that. Let's go to a break, and then we'll come back with our last segment. Do you grade your cards? Grading can preserve, protect, and beautify your cards. Well, maybe not all grading companies beautify the cards they grade, but CGC sure does. CGC slabs are so much nicer than the other big three that I send all of my PC cards to them for slabbing. Not only do they make the cards look amazing, but they are ultra durable. I used to think that a slab could only be super clear or super strong, but then CGC showed up. Check them out at cgccards.com today. All right, last segment. Grateful to have Will here with us. Will, we were supposed to go through three questions each. I don't think we're going to make it through all of them, but I'd love to do one more question each. Do you, do you want to throw out one more question? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have very clearly like a um an inclination or just a um a, a preference towards not just basketball cards but you have your specific kind of niche that you love right and when you're creating content it's you know i i i do i feel like i see that you do when you can bend it towards your <laughs> towards your favorites but how, how do you balance you know the authentic atom of really being like this is what i love and the and and the atom who's like you know this is a cool story it's not necessarily the thing that you are truly collecting but you can you can find it um through research and really get into it that way. Um, do you know, I, I guess it's two parts. Do you notice it as like a stark difference when you're, when you're trying to create content between those two lines, the things that are within your world already or within your interests already and the things that are outside. And then beyond that, like, are there different approaches that you go through, uh, for both of those? Again, another fantastic question. I don't think that I um, actually at this point, when it, as it pertains to the reels, I don't think at this point I'm actually tempted at this point to talk about my own things very much. I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, a few months ago, I was doing a couple of videos for Leland's, and one of them was really easy. It was the um, Lou Gehrig Canadian Worldwide Gum one of one autograph is the only one that's ever been graded by PSA. That one is really easy. The other that, but, but I was to do two reels for them, that auction. The other one was between a Mike Tyson, uh, game game or not game, but box or event worn gloves, like match used gloves, match was the word I was looking for there. Um, or a Nat Clifton. Careful, we can't start talking about photo matching. That's kind of, <laughs> we could really go for a while on that. Um, or a Nat Clifton 1957 uh, basketball tops, a PSA DNA. And I looked at those two items, and one of those is like, I really, like right up my alley, want to talk about it. Um, and the other one's not. That's the Mike Tyson. I just don't know that world very well. But but I'm really interested. You talked about being curious. I'm really interested in learning about all these things. And 
it's pretty that, sweet that I get that to is like the single best thing. It it is. Yeah. Like to be able to like sit and just go, I want to research this thing. And this is the best thing about my job. And this is what should make everybody else really jealous at this point. Is like I literally get to look at something and say, okay, like we talked about in, in the first segment, I want to understand why somebody likes this thing. Why did, why does it matter? And that comes down to not only like rarity or population, but it comes down to like what what the story is, you know? And so I chose the Mike Tyson. The, the reel actually ended up not doing super well. It's certainly a below average reel, but I really got into it. I loved it. I, never, never does well. It's it does It's always the mediocre stuff in your, you know, in my mind, at least like the stuff that I'm like, if on, that's stuff that does well, the stuff that I'm like, this is perfect, you know? Three people like it. <laughs> I did. So I did a reel on a Mark McGuire card last week. It's like the first time in a little while that on Instagram, I, I've gone over a hundred thousand views. Um, it, it's, it's, got, it's done really well, but that's because 1985 tops, a lot of people were collecting and it's a good, it's a well-made reel. I think I did a really good job on it and I, I'm not saying anything bad, bad about it, but like the Mike Tyson reel is just as good. It really is. But it yeah, has also like the Mark McGuire cards, not the sexiest one in the world no. you know what i mean it's not that's funny yeah yeah and so it you know i want to i want to make sure i like make this part clear it really is for me about like like if if the item has a real story and some items don't you know you mentioned um you mentioned quickly and the ntrpa or like a a, a big time rookie card at this point, the story is associated with the player. Now, maybe yeah. as time goes by, something else will happen with the set or something else will happen that will give us more of a story. But right now, like sometimes I'll, I'll see an auction and I'll see like a big football card or big basketball card and I'll look at that thing and go, I understand why this is worth so much money and I'm going to tell that part of the story. But that part's really simple. It's like about the player and about yeah. the brand. And those, you're right. Those aren't because as interesting. It's like the Josh Allen RPA, it's worth a lot of money, but it's, it's tough. It's just because it's Josh Allen and it's the most valuable card. Yeah. It's really tough to do those. But most of the stuff I do, I have, and you know, this is just really fortunate thing. I have like enough freedom to say, like, that's something that's not a good enough story to talk about. There are times where I'm doing a piece on something that is like close to something that I own or close to something that I love, and I look at it and I go, I don't think this is a great story, actually. Like, can we go do this other thing? Some people might not believe that, but it's true. So, I believe you. <laughs> uh, great. Just to add on to kind of the story component, I was just be earlier today, I was writing something on uh, we've got a, um, we've got a, uh, a Countach, a uh, Lamborghini Countach, and I'm not a car guy. But I spent an, you know, uh, although I will preface it with we've had this car for a while, so I have done this research previously. But um, in writing, it's like, oh, wow, I get it. This is dope, you know, and it's like I wouldn't have cared if you had just said it out loud and I hadn't spent the time. Um, so I really do. I, I'm of the I'm definitely of the opinion that there's a story to be found anywhere. I mean. One of my favorite examples is Kenner Star Wars toys. Mm. 1979. I wasn't alive. I'm a casual Star Wars fan. Never in my life would I have known about nor collected 
those action figures. But for Rally, we, you know, we got them because they're they're very valuable. And okay, now I got to learn everything about them. No, I think they're so cool. <laughs> now I think the the story about the rocket firing Boba Fett, which I'm not going to get into, but it's insane, and you should Google it. Like it's just wild. Um, like I actually think it's cool and it's interesting, and I want to talk about it. And it's and that's that's kind of my that's always my example of like, you know, you think that you're not interested in something, but if you sit down and really dig in, you'll probably find an angle that actually does pique your interest. Um, at least that's my experience. Maybe I'm just kind of predisposed to that, but I think you're right. I I think you know. I think that everything has a story. If you're willing to take the time to sort of try to understand where those people are coming from, you're going to end up maybe not wanting to collect the thing, but you're going to at least sort of sit in a place after that where you go. Oh, I get it. Um, my best example of that was when I was at PWCC full-time and I would go into the office once a month to do um, videos for all their big items as far as the premiere. And I got tasked with doing videos for like Magic the Gathering stuff. And I looked at the stuff and I was like, guys, this might be a bridge too far. I'm not sure we can get there on these things. Like I can kind of hold hold in my own a little bit on the Pokemon stuff, but like MTG, like I don't know what's going on at all. And so I went and I talked to people within the company. There's a lot of people at that time who were there who were magic gathering collectors. So I talked to people. I could, I could feel it wearing off on me. Like I could understand. Oh, I get it. I understand. I'm still not an MTG guy, but ironically my son is. Um, and it, it makes sense. If you're willing to actually like try to understand the story, it really makes sense. Totally. Uh, my last question. So, you are a Twitter guy. Twitter is, that's your, from what I can see, it's by far and away your, your main medium for social um, and for sharing. Um, that doesn't mean you don't do stuff on Instagram. I know you have, you have an Instagram account too where you post things that you collect. And other <laughs> I, just, I just take posts from Twitter and put it on Instagram. Right. <laughs> but like you're trying to build your Instagram. Yeah. Twitter's your thing. I'm kind of doing the same thing except for, you know, with other things, like I've got my Instagram, my Instagram has obviously has a pretty strong following, but I would like my TikTok, my YouTube and all these other things to grow, trying to like create stuff on Instagram and then push them out to these other things. I don't really have a lot of success. Some things will have a few thousand views and it like adds one follower to me or whatever, but nobody's, it doesn't feel like it's really working. So to, to all those people who are listening right now, why is Twitter a place to be for the world of collectibles. Why is it what you prefer? And why, why is it even worth looking into the others with the sort of like, um, the sort of like coverage or the sort of like number of people that you get seeing your, your Twitter posts. So I think I'm maybe going to disappoint a little bit with this answer. So okay. for me, it's not about collectibles. It's about just my writing, which is, you know, I, I write a newsletter and it's not that frequent, unfortunately, but sometimes it has collectibles in it. I just did a roundup of like 2023, uh, the big, the most significant auction sales. Um, but I also will just write about David Bowie and the, and his crazy stuff that he did early on with the internet. Right. So I 
you know, I see myself as a writer and that's what I like to do. And so even outside of collectibles, just Twitter is a text is a text based platform. Um, and it's honestly as simple as that. And it's like, a you know, I can funnel into subscribers for a newsletter, I can use just a post to just tell a way too long story and then and do inline photos, which I've been doing lately that the algorithm seems to like, even though a lot of people get annoyed by it. Um, I don't know if I could curse on here, but it's hard for me to not curse. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, and it's funny because I am so not an Instagram person that like, I, when people talk about, you know, they'll reference a, a, a content creator or an account or something that's on Instagram. If they're not on Twitter, I've literally never heard of them and they could have 10 million followers, right? you know? Um, and it's just like, I'm not there. But for me, it's really just because I like writing and I like words and that's just <laughs> what it's conducive for. And it's also more conducive to conversation and um truly learning also like you'll you'll i'll get a, you know someone will correct me on something whereas I, th I i just don't think the mechanism on like other platforms is really there it's more That's of smart. a broadcasting versus the interpersonal dialogue but yeah i mean long story short it it's about just text based uh posts and and i will i guess for collectible specifically i mean there really is something to be said for like if if we're if we've agreed that all of these things have stories that are so important the best place to amplify that to read it to engage with it and to uh, experience some sort of success as far as virality and reach is absolutely without a doubt Twitter. With Instagram, you can write just a super long caption or you can do a video, which, you know, you do quite well. I I, I don't really, that's that's not what I do. I, I don't do on-camera stuff, really. You're a writer. You're a yeah. writer. And, and yeah, and again, it's like I'm always basic at the end of every time I have anything go semi-viral, I drop like a reply that's like, by the way, subscribe to this newsletter that has nothing to do with the tweet. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's just what it is for me, really. And and I I just think it's more interesting, honestly. I think you it's it's text over over aesthetics and, and imagery to me. I I think what I, I've just learned a lot from your answer. One of the main things that I'll take, it's going to come across as kind of simple, but Twitter is the place where people who love writing can go viral. Like that's, to me, that's like the way to think about it. Absolutely. And when I look at the numbers, you know, some of these guys who talk, who, who just talk about collectibles, they'll put together a tweet that's really simple that has an image and that thing will go get, go see hundred, a hundred thousand views. In the time that I've been doing the reels, I think I have like eight reels at this point that have gone over 100,000, right? And I've got a fair amount of followers, not like the craziest amount. But the reason I say that is that 
if you want your eyes to, to, if you want, sorry, if you want your stuff to be seen by a lot of eyes, gosh, it seems like Twitter is a great place to do that. It really does. And it's easy. I tell you, I can tell you these guys that are making tweets and getting hundred thousand views, they're spending a lot less time producing their content than I am. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, I mean, I, look, way less. I, the amount of, I, I bet you 20% of my most viral tweets have been written in a bar bathroom at 1130 PM on a Friday night while my friends are like, why are you taking so long in there? And I'm like, cause I just had an idea. <laughs> that's crazy, man. And so that, that's something that I want to try to, I don't consider myself specifically a writer in that way. You are though, because your videos have a script and they, you know, that you are. I know I was going to say, like, I don't consider myself, but like, the the um temptation that i have to like have that many people see my writing or see me like and what i want what i'm thinking about like it's too much for me to not try it i just wish this is a personal take but i wish twitter wasn't such a cesspool every time i get on there and i see the videos that are there and the things that people say to each other i'm like oh my goodness there's so much yeah, here you got to curate it you got to ignore yeah. it but but good really wonderful thoughts will i i've been um i think edified by this by this uh conversation i've loved it um i already shouted out uh your your twitter twitter again will stern underscore um on twitter is there anything else that you want to shout out before you go um yeah, i may as well be shameless um the newsletter i mentioned is called unwinding the thread and i read about a lot of things that are tangentially related to collectibles but i think something that the audience here might be more more inclined to uh to be interested in is my 2023 wrap up where I took 13 asset categories from cards to cars, whiskey and, and video games. And I took, I picked one auction sale for each of them. I saw it. Um, I loved it. I loved yeah. It. And I, and I made, and I didn't just pick the biggest one necessarily in every case. And I provided a rationale of why this is a, indicator of broader market themes and trends. Um, and that's something that uh, I'm, I'm, I, I really enjoy doing it because I'm a nerd, but I also have really enjoyed the discussions that have come from it. So I'd love if, you know, if, you know, people listening, like read it and tell me why I'm wrong so we can argue about it in good faith, you know? Well, as I said before, um, you're one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I'm not just saying that. It. Love it. Super smart um, and always really good information. And this is the great thing that I that I would point out that I would say to you that I'd say to anybody else. Just because something doesn't go viral doesn't mean that it doesn't have a lot of value. Some of my favorite things that are out there are things that people the other people aren't looking for. And although we sometimes value our own media based on how well it does out, like how how many people see it, you're everything that you're doing is great, man. And uh, I'm just really excited to to continue to follow you and see what you got coming next. Just great, great stuff all around. So, hey, same here, same here. Uh, so amazing. All right. Well, um, thank you guys again for joining us for this episode of the Basketball Card Podcast. And until next time, happy collecting.
Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.